everyone, and welcome to episode 669 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Joe and Todd here. Todd, hello. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm a little low-key and unenergetic, but I think I could bring it up to do the show. Mm. My kid the other day, so, uh, you know, this is the dad's traction portion of the show since we didn't get to do it on After Dark this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my my kid will send me different uh, TikToks or YouTube shorts, right? Um, and he'll send ones to my wife, and then he'll send ones to both of us, right? Because mm-hmm. he knows that you know he doesn't realize that me and April have the same sense of humor for the most part, right? right. Mom so and the, dad don't have the same sense of humor to any kid, right? Right, to any kid. So he sent me one where. Uh, it was uh, the 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 punchline, the joke of the TikTok, YouTube short, whatever, mm-hmm. was that at your house you should have a drawer just full of Spectrox to share <laughs> with anyone that comes over. <laughs> right. So he sends that to me, and I liked it. It was a good one. <laughs> so now he and I have the shorthand. I'm like, well, you just haven't found the drawer yet. And he goes, what? I go, yeah, we have that drawer at the house. I go, you just haven't found it yet. Wow. <laughs> you should just fill a drawer full of uh, sweetener. Right. Well, that's, you know, and that's what the thing in the video is, clearly, you know. But it's it was still very funny that, like, he sends that to me. And, like, now I could call back to that thing, you know. Right. Do you guys call it Spectrox or no? No. Well, you're going to have to teach him that word so his we, mom won't find out. We call it the working name, not the shoot name. <laughs> Gotcha. Did I get those reversed? I don't know. Mm-hmm. All right. So, hey, let's get into uh, our comic book show here this week. It's a light news week where we got stuff to uh, talk about. DC decides to change the game yet again, this time by having variant insides of the comic books. Right. And uh, due to the writer's strike, thanks, Stephen Amell, we do have some delays uh, and some date changes of some of the upcoming movies, uh, specifically Sony movies. Uh, But we'll get into my thoughts uh, on those sort of things. Uh, We got conventions that are happening this weekend. We have what we read from this past week, which is She-Hulk number 15 and Night Terrors number two. What we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, We also have the continuation of Todd and Joe Have Issues, where we're going to take care of the final two issues of the World's End story before we move on to uh, maybe the biggest chapter in Sandman history. No maybe about it. Biggest chapter. No, and with a little bit of a break in between because I forgot to assign it for last week. Uh, and, of course, <laughs> and of course, discussions of the finale of Secret Invasion as well as uh, a little bit of talk about Good Omen Season 2. How about that? Fair enough. All right. Uh, so we do have coming up here at the end of August, uh, DC is publishing. And when this got solicited, of course, you know, this sets off your signals, sets off my signals, and that would be the Nort Illustrated Swimsuit Edition from mm-hmm. DC Comics, right? Right. Um, and listen, is this a cash grab? Sure. Is this mostly reprints of previous covers of people in swimsuits from DC's past? Sure. Are they loosely tying it together with a new eight-page story about the Penguin in there? Okay. 
But the other hook of this is there's going to be variant centerfolds in the book. Right. Now, I don't know how many there's going. I think there's three different ones. Right. I don't That's know if this what I be heard. Like, right. I don't know if there's going to be like bagged and you won't know what one it is until you get it. Or they could be perforated centerfold. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like inside you have to. Oh, like there's a like a you have to rip it so it'll open. Kind yeah, of. there's I no see. way that you know until without like uh, breaking the sanctity of the book, you know. Right, right. So that <laughs> it, it's cash grab. Will it grab my cash? Most definitely. Now the question is, how much of that cash shall it grab? Now I will say this: if you know what we're being told is what we're being told, um, we haven't seen what they are. Uh, but there's a Poison Ivy one by Jen Bartel. There's a Dick and Barbara one by Jorge Jimenez. And there's a Nort one by Simon Bisley. Of those three, Joe, take what you know about me and what one do I want? I'm assuming you would want the Nort by Simon Bisley. I would love the Nort by Nort West one, yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was a story. Um, <laughs> I listen, and it is not a knock by any stretch of the imagination of Poison Ivy, but that's the one that I would want the least. Right. I'd be okay with any of them. I'd be okay with, you know, being able to pick which one I get. But I think I it did not even cross my mind that they're gonna do some sort of uh thing so you can't tell which one you're getting, right? There's no doubt in my mind they're doing that. Okay. But it'll I be very interesting. It'll be very interesting to see how that goes. Right. I'll, I'll say this. I would buy multiple if I knew so I can hang the Nort one in the office at the Cinnabon. Now, Just I so when people come into my office, they'd see it. I wonder. And that, now that's the flip side is I wonder if they would do a thing. And this is something that we would probably have to ask our retailer about is maybe they do it poly bagged. Right. And it says, like, this is the one that has this, or this is the one that has that, or this is the one that has this. I could never see a polybag thing giving you the heads up. It's a free-for-all so people will buy more. But that's the thing. So I buy three in the hopes that I get all three, and I get end up getting three of the same. Right. That's when you have to trade with your friends. All your not- more, uh swimsuit edition friends. Uh, unless I'm finding it in the woods, I'm not trading any of these with my friends, you know? I found a few uh, swimsuit editions in the woods. Uh, but again, interesting uh, ploy here to get people to bump this book up. I'm sure it'll be a high-priced book as well, you know? Yeah, marketing ploy, yeah. But we're doped. We're going to buy it, right? Yep, totally. Yeah. First day, day and date, Joe. Exactly. Uh, so the other news, I guess, would be Sony announced that they're rolling back dates on a couple things. Uh, the two specifically that affect us the most uh, would be the Craven the Hunter movie. That didn't affect one of us. What's this <laughs> wee stuff? You got a mouse in your pocket? <laughs> well, I say this only because. Did you see the trailer for the Craven the Hunter movie? Yeah. Wasn't he like, uh, you know, I don't know. Did somebody have a bear trap on their head? I I saw it. I didn't care. (laughs) Okay. So this movie has already been delayed once before. This was actually supposed to come out January of this year. Mm -hmm. It got moved to October of this year. Now it's getting moved to August of next year. 
Ooh, that's a deep move right there. That's yeah. We're already a year and a half past its original release date. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is a movie that has just been sitting and collecting dust. I don't know. I think the movies studios have the most faith in are the one they keep kicking down the road. Joe. Yeah. Now, on the flip side, and they, a couple other things, you know, not so much in our purview, like the next Ghostbusters movie and the, uh, I think, Bad Boys 4 or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. But the one that's the most interesting to me is uh, Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse, the sequel, you know, and listen, we're, we're past the point at this time, the part two of the new Spider-Verse movie that came out this year. Right. It was supposed to come out March of 2024. Now, they've just said it's delayed, but they haven't given a new date on it yet. Right. I, I think that's them attempting to be non-committal in the hopes that the strike um, doesn't go too long. Right. And they could slot it right back into that March release date. Yeah, because that's a movie like that's that movie was the, 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 the part one was a huge hit. So and part two was a huge hit. Right. Well, I mean, part one of part two. If right. Well, the, fir- the first one, huge hit. Right. Part one of part two, huge hit. This mm. is going to be a huge hit. It's been, you know, it was unofficially delayed before because part one of part two was delayed. <laughs> but it's already off the schedule. And again, I know we're getting into like wibbly wobbly, time billy, wimbly stuff here. Mm hmm. Um, but it just was so interesting that that they're like, that's oh, delayed, but we're not going to say when it's delayed to. Right. I feel like a lawyer talking like the part of the first part yeah. and the part of the second part of the first part, you know, like, oh, exactly. Now listen, if, if there's nothing else, uh, that we are not being a comic book podcast, we're also a, uh, legal podcast as well. Very right? litigious on this show. Oh my goodness. Yes, for sure. Um, so that's really all there was in the news. You know, right. I think the industry, um, kind of spent themselves the week before the week of San Diego. And now yeah. they're going to coast to uh, New York comic con on fumes. Yeah. I honestly yeah. think so. Uh, not to say that there aren't conventions happening this weekend because there are conventions happening this weekend. Uh, we do have, uh, first and foremost, we have fan expo in Boston. And uh, I know sometimes we make the joke uh, in regards to a certain unnamed the creator, <laughs> right? Who makes statements in regards to the business model of Fan Expo? And when mm-hmm. I look at this uh, for the Boston one, you know, obviously we got uh, Frank Cho, Ed McGinnis from the world of comic books, but media guest folks, we got Hayden Christensen, uh, the one true Darth Vader. Rosario Dawson, Danny Trejo, William Shatner, Henry Winkler, Jason Lee. Hmm. I'll give this week to the Rob. How about that? I don't know. I think that's a good show. That's an all right show. Now, uh, over in New Century, Kansas, we have the Fountain City Comic Con. Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, this is a more straight up comic book convention. Not so many uh, media type folks. Uh, Chris Burnham, Bernard Chang, Dennis Culver, Dennis Hopeless. And again, this looks like a new one that's popping up. Um, When I look at their site, it's a nice mix of your, you know, your your big con stuff. But there's also like 
a lot of stuff geared towards your smaller con stuff. So it's a mix. It looks like it's a new con trying to find their uh, footing, you know? Right, right. Uh, and then in beautiful Roanoke, Virginia, this weekend, we have the Big Lick Comic Con. Mm. We got um, comic book folks as Jim Shooter, Tom DeFalco, Rodney Ramos, Christopher Priest. And from the world of sports and entertainment, uh, we've got Jimmy, Mouth of the South Heart. We've got Brutus, the Blankenbarber Beefcake. Mm-hmm. Now, listen, I, I know uh, Rick Steamboat's supposed to be on this uh, convention this weekend, but uh, I heard he's got another engagement on Saturday that he needs to be part of. Oh, is he going to have his uh, lizard? Well, listen, he's going to need a little bit more than his lizard to take care of Larry. I'm just saying that. Okay. Uh, and Todd's new friend Dan Housen is going to be here. If anybody sees him at the Big Lick Comic Con, ask him how he's liking his Dan, uh, Randy Bowen hella bust. There you go. And if you can get a mark picture of Jimmy Hart and Dan Housen doing that Spider-Man meme photo where they're pointing at each other. Right. That's a joke for like seven people. Okay. Guess who isn't one of them, Joe? Your co-host. It'll be, it, listen, the the Rick Steamboat thing, the Dan Housen thing, the Jimmy the Mouth of the South Heart thing, it'll all be explained later. Gotcha. Uh, so the links to these uh, conventions, of course, will be in the show notes that accompany every single one of these posts, along with information about the soon-to-be-named network at soon-to-be-namednetwork.com, soon-to-be-namednetwork.tumblr.com, Anytime any of the shows go live, you can find them there. In addition to their own individual sites, their RSS feeds, however it is that you get your podcasts. Of course, you do you, I do me. This is where all those things meet in the middle. Soon to be named network.com. Uh, and that's all the shows in the network, of course. That would be this show that you're listening to, of course, Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, uh, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments. We need wrestling, final wrestling place at odds with wrestling, uh, wings on wings, Hayabusa, which they're threatening a new show coming out here soon. Less mm. a show, more of an experience, really, than anything. Yep. Um, and it was spoken publicly into a microphone this past weekend that the negotiations have begun to film a, uh, to record a one-off. For no chance in helmet before the f- upcoming NFL football season, I've, I've heard I've heard tell that that could be happening. Yes, and I know Mr. Tim is talking about he's he's going to be going to a homeowner. I don't know if he had to mortgage the new house one time, two times, <laughs> three times to come up with the right number to get all parties involved to sit down and hash this out, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm looking forward to that one again. The, it's the weird minutia of the sports that I don't care about that I love so much. Right. I, I mean, Tim is just the the driving force to get that podcast done. Oh, yeah. Driving both these off a cliff. Right. Uh, be sure to check out some of our other friends and their to-do-ins around the internet. Uh, go check out our friend Mike Sterling's blog over at ProgressiveRuin.com. Go check out our friend Kevin's blog at MassedLibrary.com. Go check out Rick Williams' The Chop Shop at FreeKarateChops.StoreEnvy.com. Uh, go check out Jason Sandberg's Jupiter uh, at his Indiegogo page. And I'm sure if you've already purchased it, 
you want to purchase an a la carte at this point, that's going to get you on the list for when the next issue comes out, whenever that would be. The first campaign for it was a success, nearing $9,000 to get that book made. I'm sure we'll be seeing more from that in the future, not putting that on Jason, but again, he said as much as himself. Uh, head over to FortressOfComicNews.com to pick up a copy of Chris Runt's Battle Monsters, his own self-published book. Again, these guys are longtime listeners, big supporters of us. Uh, go check out our friend Dave of the band Cave People and artist Rose Sovia's self-published book Keeper at KeeperComic.BigCartel.com. And hey, if you do not have a comic book shop in your area or you do not have a good comic book shop in your area, let our comic book shop be your comic book shop comics on the green we have everything linked up there for their social media their facebook page that's where dave makes all the announcements of when the books have arrived if you're coming to pick stuff up when the final order cutoff dates are for the latest and greatest and hottest books that are coming out in the near future and sign up for the mail order subscription service get your book sent to you weekly bi-weekly or monthly and if you do there's a chance that you can get a sketch from our good friend becky i got her social media linked up so you could see some of the past art that she's done her process, her commissions, her prints, all sorts of stuff. All linked up in the show notes here for every single one of these episodes. Yep. Let's get into what we were looking or what we read from this past week. I'm going to kick things over to you to start things off there, Mr. Todd. Right. And I'm starting with uh, Night Terrors number two, um, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Giuseppe Camincoli. Uh, last we left, you know, our, our heroes, dead man was possessing Batman and he went to someone who had basically some knowledge of the case of insomnia, trying to get the nightmare stone. Uh, and that is, uh, Wesley Dodd Sandman using some Lazarus, uh, stuff left over from, uh, planet Lazarus. He brings it back to life, asks him some questions. He says, I kind of, you know, was involved with a cult. Back in my time, because this is like, you know, undead Wesley Dodds kind of a deal. He's like, yeah, when I in the golden age kind of a thing, there was this cult trying to bring about the 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 nightmare stone. But it was more for rich people doing crazy things. Then it kind of went sideways. And in the end, I was able to stop them. We lost somebody, but it wasn't enough people. They were going to sacrifice everybody. And uh that would have made the nightmare stone but it didn't work because there wasn't enough people he said so it must have happened down the line so now insomnia is kind of running around looking for the nightmare stone where it's hidden and he's like going to see a descendants of people from that cult and he goes to one and I, I thought that was a really cool nightmare scene and it made me think the cult for a second was the cult that maybe trapped Morpheus in Sandman? I definitely think they're trying to make us think that. And then, but then I kind of feel that with the masks, they're the Court of Owls. I so, definitely think they're trying to make us think that too. Right. So I don't know where we're going. Like it hasn't, you know, I can't spoil it because I don't know. Um, so uh, while all that's going on, you know, uh, Red Tornado comes to Batman, who's, you know, possessed. And he's like, how are you still up? And he's like, yeah, it's dead, man. And he's telling him of the fate of the world, kind of, that everybody's asleep, but the robots and people who don't are trying to keep things uh, the best that they are. And that's when uh, dead man realizing possessing or uh, insomnia 
has created this link to him. And now he's seeing insomnia at Arkham Asylum. And for some reason, like he doesn't get the full gist of it, but he gets the idea that there's a reason people were keeping him asleep. And that might be part of what what's going on here. We don't really know. And uh, maybe people are showing up to attack Wesley Dodds and, uh, Batman slash Dead Man, and we get the official name for in Insomnia's uh, like guards or warriors or whatever you want to call them. And I actually thought that was a a really cool name for them when you find out. But uh, once again, I think this is a great little mini series. Looks beautiful, has a horror feel like with the nightmares, very Sandman feel a bit with the one nightmare ish uh, with the cult leader's son. Uh, all around, I'm really enjoying it. I like Boston Brand as the hero, but they get to file the serial numbers off and make you think it's a Batman book because he's possessing Batman, Joe. Uh, there's there's a lot of lifting in this book, and I think it's all for the greater good of stuff. You want to get JSA stuff in here. Um, you know, obviously, I feel as though there's stuff that's spinning out of this that is solicited for books in October that the lateness of the main JSA book is going to interfere with. Wow. No, not a Jeff Johns book being late. I, I know. Um, I, 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 I wanted to echo your sentiments in regards to the scene of the nightmare. Um, this is obviously not a vertigo book. This is a superhero book, but no scene in recent memory in a comic book has kind of felt like those early issues of Sandman, like where you're, living through a nightmare with one of the characters. Right. You're, and I thought that was really well done. Um, you know, obviously everybody is asleep, so this is how Insomnia is trying to find where the Nightmare Stone is. Um, you know, we talked about it last time, Wesley Dodds is a zombie. You know, I don't know how I feel about that, but Wesley Dodds is here, and when he was recounting his tale of dealing with these people, you know, back in the the forties or whatever it was, I'm like, boy, I want to read Sandman Mystery Theater again. That was such a good book, right? Right. That's one I think we've discussed. I only read like the first year of, or maybe yeah. less. So I kind of, I do kind of want to read those. But I definitely think that at least with this story. They are trying to play fast and loose with whatever your secret society in the DC universe would be. Mm-hmm. And you would mention like, oh, is it the, 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 the Alistair Crowley one from Sandman? Is it Court of Owls? Is it this? I have a feeling that the end result of this book is going to attempt to try all of those different ones that we've read in books over the years into one greater one that's always been working together behind the scenes, underground, in the shadows, in the darkness, so that the Court of Owls now retroactively ties into Sandman number one, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's what the idea is. Sometimes DC does these ideas like this and then immediately abandons them for the next uh, crossover event. And sometimes DC does something like this and it inspires someone to, you know, take it and expand on it further. Um, Let's hope it's uh, the latter and not the former. How about that? No, I'm with you. Though I'm going to go out on a limb and say 
that the group is going to be an all new group to create. That's going to be, you know, something that we've never seen. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, that's where it's going to run because everybody wants to have that paycheck, Joe. That's that's my take on it. Well, yeah. well no, so right. So what I'm saying is, yes, everyone wants to have that paycheck. But what I'm saying is, is we're going to find out that there's like one overarching group, which okay. is the new thing, Got which is out. all these other things have splintered out of. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so we're on the same page. It's just like maybe you're a couple pages. We're in the same book, just you know, yep. different pages. Yep. Um, but I would be remiss. Um, I typically don't read the solicitations on books that I'm going to pick up, right? Right. Uh, but I want to read the solicitation for this book only because um, you try to tiptoe around like the name of Insomnia's crew. Right, but that's because I don't read solicitations and maybe okay. it's somewhere else. I don't know. But it's in the solicitation, but I'm reading the solicitation because they, they attempted to do something clever, okay? Mm-hmm. Solicitation says, oh, dang, I got to do another one of these this month. Batman and I are joined by Wesley Dodds, the Sandman? What <laughs> the heck? I thought I was the only dead person allowed in this story. I guess not. We uncover one of Wesley's oldest cage, cases, which has haunted him until the day he died. And it points us in the direction of the Nightmare Stone. But Insomnia has unleashed his own army to hunt us down. The Sleepless Nights. Get it? He doesn't put that part in. And, it, and then it says, and this issue is their first appearance, kids. Get scared. No, get scared that you might miss out on the new hot book, Joe. <laughs> But I like that it's like I'm a sucker for a solicitation written in the voice of someone in the book. Yeah, I am too. But but it's tough to read because I would have to go back and read all the solicits after I read the books. Yeah, because that's kind of our deal. You know what I mean? So I get it. Like, so I would have never saw this, and I'm glad that you brought it up. Maybe in about thirty years we get to it. Yes. Uh, so the book that I uh, was most looking forward to coming out this week uh, would be She-Hulk number 15, written by Rainbow Ruel, with art by Andres Genolette. Uh, this is the end of this first arc. I, I talked last week, not going to belabor the point, that when this issue was solicited two months ago and then nothing was solicited the month after and the month after, I started to worry. I tweeted at the writer. I got no response. And then just last week, they announced, like, hey, we're coming back with a new number one. It's going to be titled Sensational She-Hulk. We're good to go from there, right? Right. So um, the only real issue that I have with this issue is there's three stories that have been going on for Jen Walters in this book. Um, And they only deal with close up, tie the bow on, two of the three. And I get why they didn't do the the, the third one. The third one is her employer, um, the one, uh, and again, she works for the law firm, it was agreed upon not to do superhero cases, the person who runs it lied, and now all she gets is superhero cases. That stuff's not even mentioned in this issue, which is fine, because I'm sure that's going to be continuing as we go, Right. Right. So your A story is Jen's relationship with Jack of Hearts, who they have been a on secret romance for most of the book, mostly because Jack of Hearts 
has been dealing with his levels of radiation, but because Jen is gamma irradiated, they can be together without him having to worry about her or having to worry about him. Mm-hmm. So while they're dating, seeing each other, what have you, Jack is figuring out ways to uh, dissipate some of the radiation that she has. Jen, of course, is taking on clients um, and, and ta- you know, fighting criminals. And the one that she takes on is a new one for this book, a guy by the name of Scoundrel, who's a super-powered thief. But he's also, like, very swashbuckling, very suave, very debonair. And they've had, like, a very flirty relationship as they're battling each other, right? So it turns out in this issue that the while Scoundrel has fallen for Jen, he may have ulterior motives and he may be a big scumbag. She was thinking maybe he had some good in him. We find out in this issue he does not. The, the B story is while Jack of Hearts is off doing his whatever with his radiation, Jen has come to the realization that there's a lot of other superpowered folks in New York that have steam that they need to let off. So they put together not Fight Club, Todd, but they put together Punch Club. That's completely different, and you can't be sued for it. Right. Where it's heroes and maybe tweeners, maybe villains trying to, like, straighten themselves out, get together, knock each other around a little bit to blow off some steam. They go to, like, an abandoned lot or a place that's going to be destroyed and so on and so forth. So word starts to build and build and build. Now they're attracting the attention of the thing and... Power Man, and so on and so forth, and Jen is late for their meeting, where they're all getting fitted for their punch club jackets. Oh, jeez. Because she's dealing with what Scoundrel's big plan is, right? Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, these two subplots come together. Shocking. This is a fun book. I really have been enjoying this book quite a bit. Um, She-Hulk is and always has been a fun character, So when the TV show was kind of fun and kind of tongue-in-cheek and kind of silly at times, and people are like, this is the worst show ever, and I'm like, have you read a She-Hulk comic in the last 35 years? John Byrne would beg to differ. Right, well, listen, me and John Byrne may not see eye-to-eye on a lot of things, and that's just because I'm taller than him. But um, if any of this sounds fun, you know, when the new She-Hulk book comes out from the same creative team in October, I'll remind you. Right. Yeah, sounds fun. I just hope somebody actually shows up and thinks it's a club for like different types of punch to drink. Yes. And they just be like, you know, they have the big crystal bowl and like, oh, no, going through all the panels, trying not to drop it or break it. But uh, that would be, you know, you could have that idea for free. So. All right. I won't edit that out of the show. There you go. Uh, So that's what we've read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. If you head over to longboxheroes.com, every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, however it is, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the others most looking forward to coming out this week. I am still in the lead with five correct guesses over Todd. I'm looking at Todd's list, which is not the slender read that my list is, but I'm going to guess the book that Todd is most looking forward to coming out this week is Peacemaker Tries Hard Number 4. 
Yes, it is Peacemaker Tries Hard, number four, Joe. Um, and the book I think you're looking forward to most also is Peacemaker Tries Hard, number four. Yes. Um, um, go ahead. I, I'm going to say this, and I'll never spoil anything for you, but I got the Iggy of a villain that's going to be in the book. Yes. And I'm fine, I'm fine with it because I kind of figured out that he might be in the book from something I saw earlier. And I'm super curious to know if you know anything about uh, this certain villain. Um, so when it happens, I'm very pumped to talk about. Was it someone that was maybe on like some promotional art or maybe like a cover tease somewhere previously? That I don't know, but it was definitely uh, somebody who was that something was representing them in that trophy room that that okay. person had. So I think I know who it is. We could talk off air to not spoiler. I think even when we saw it in issue two, we kind of tiptoed around it so not to give it away, you know? Right, right. Uh, but even the cover, like, the there's several covers for this book. It's getting a good push. Uh, Kyle Starks and Stephen Pugh are doing a great job on this book. If you watch the Peacemaker HBO Max show, then you should absolutely be reading this book. It's just that show. Like, it feels like a continuation of that show. Um and we tiptoed around who the big reveal was at the end of issue three. Mm -hmm. And that person's on the cover, the main cover of issue four. And I think if you see issue four, most people would be like, I have no idea who that is. Yeah. I mean, there's, that's a deep cut right there. It's about as deep as a cut as it is, but we will be talking about that deep cut next week when we talk about that issue. Of course, um, you know, any of the Kyle Stark stuff, we typically tend to co comment on, remark upon. We're big fans of his stuff, you know. That's right. We'll re we'll we'll talk about who it could be next month. Yes, who it could be. <laughs> uh, so with that out of the way, let's head over to Todd and Joe have issues as we are going to be discussing. Well, all this year we've been discussing. Uh, the entire run of Neil Gaiman Sandman, not just the 75 issues, of course. We got the miniseries, we got the one-shots, we got the short stories, we got everything is going to be wrapped up here throughout the course of the year. This week, we're talking about issues 55 and 56, which are the final two issues of the World's End Saga. Yep. And this um, is where I turn the uh, show over to Todd, and I just sit here and I chime in and go, yeah, 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 yeah. I do my Grandpa Al Lewis impression. Yeah. Good, good. Um, obviously, as we always mention, Neil Gaiman, the writer, but art by uh, Shay Anton Panesa, and uh, the book ends by Brian Talbot, just so we're on there. So uh, Brant has come downstairs from, you know, the listening to the story last month about Prez, the teenage uh, president. Um, and he's walking around and he sees the guy that he had talked to earlier, which was the, uh, basically an undertaker character. And for the sake of this story, there's going to be the master and the apprentice. So I, cause I can't keep doing their names every time. Cause I'll get completely confused. Um, and I like that they're doing uh, a bit where they're uh, maybe kind of counting, trying to count the, the storm. Like you do the one Mississippi's with the lightning and stuff like that. Um, so now they're like, oh, now it's time for another story. Uh, and the apprentice says, basically, could I tell a story to his, to, uh, the master? And he's like, why would I care? He's like, because it's kind of 
about you. And he ends up telling the story of the necropolis Letharge. Um, and they're basically the city that does funerals for like all the worlds and, and uh, dimensions, whatever. That seems to be like the case of it. And he's telling when he, when he uh, studied under the master and I, he's talking about the class and the master asked, what are to the apprentice? What are the, the, the five ways to, uh, to do a funeral. And obviously he goes through, he's like earth burial, obviously. Uh, second is fire. Third is mummification and different ways to do that. Uh, fourth is disposal through water by, you know, uh, burial at sea, stuff like that. And fifth, and he's like kind of taken back and he's like fifth. And he's like, ah, uh, air burial where, you know, the, the body is uh, dismembered and otherwise ingested by things, you know, in the, in the raptors and, and birds and stuff. So that's an interesting way to do it. And I found that interesting because I had never heard of an air burial. But like we always say when we're reading this book, uh, I believe Neil did some, you know, deep digging. And yes. in parts of the world, there are air burials. Maybe you know more about it than I do. I do not. Pun intended when you said you did more digging on it. Um, you, <laughs> right. men- you mentioned the artist, of course. Uh, you know, you have your artist for the framing sequences, and you have your artist for the main story in this issue. Uh, mm-hmm. Shay Antonia Pensa, uh, early in the story, and again, I know, obviously, Master Apprentice, but when they're in the classroom, there's a shot of the Master that's like an upshot where the shadow is over most of their face. That the is I'm waiting. Yes, the I'm waiting thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously really getting over that these are people that deal in death. Even though they are living people, it's kind of like how when you deal in death, maybe death consumes you. Mm-hmm. And of course, the bit about the air burial, uh, it definitely is... M- you know, it leads you to believe that the apprentice is kind of uh, pulling this sort of stuff out of his hiney, let's say. Yep, because it, it looks like he's on the ropes with that last one. And then he has way too much aforementioned uh, knowledge. But basically, the, the master says, oh, well, if you know so much about it, we're having one tomorrow. Uh, why don't you come along and, you know, and then you could regale the class with the story. Um, so he ends up being late as, as knowing that he's going to be mad the next day and he gets there and they start doing, uh, you know, the, the, whatever you would call it, the, the, the sky funeral, the air funeral. And he ends up asking him why they do it. And he basically says, because, you know, there's in, in places it's done in places you're on a mountain. There's it's rock. You can't bury. There's no wood to burn. There's no, you know, like all these reasons. And they end up saying, yeah, it's easy. You just cut open the body with a boning knife. And the only thing you, the only other tools you really need are the skull. Um, and, you know, we say we could dis- dismember it in a couple of hours. And they go through the bit that, in the end, everything's gone. They even grind up the bones with meal so that everything is ate uh, by the, the creatures. And the only thing left are the pride in our work, second, our memories, and third, the stain on the rocks that'll wash away within, you know, within time. And uh, the master says to the apprentice, like, well, our task is completed. Do you want to stay for the ceremony? And he's like, uh, I, I'll stay with you. And he's like, that's a willing at lad. We're going to eat while we do it. And the guy's like, ew, we cut that guy open. We're going to eat. Like, don't we wash our hands? And he's like, that would be dis- disrespectful to the client. Um, and they say that 
uh, the stuff on our hands adds savor to the food. You know, um, Joe, which would you rather have, that or cheese on your food, mm. Joe? Uh, I, I, I'll say that I would uh, br- brush my hands off thusly, mm-hmm. so in my mind that I got most of the human remains off of it, right? Right. Um, now, there's another sh- uh, striking image here where they are eating, and it's the close-up of the master taking a bite out of the bread, right? And you really get, like, a shot of his teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, this being the second issue of Sandman that I ever read in my life, this that image really stuck with me um mm-hmm. just as a very like ominous image a very you know uh, just very so much me- very memorable image right mm-hmm. um but yeah yeah so go ahead so they eat and even the apprentice is like well listen it goes i don't know why it does but the food does taste better because we didn't wash our hands i don't understand why and the master's like it is because they believe it should and that's it Yep, I, I love that. So they basically say the ceremony is eating the food and then telling stories, kind of a deal. Um, and which is funny because Neil always talked about this. He goes, and and to spoil a little bit as it goes, this is a we're reading a story, like we're reading Sandman, and then in that story, there are people in the inn that are telling a story about people that are telling stories. And there's three of them in, in this. So it's in it's story inception right here. And when he said that, my mind went like, because I never thought of it that way. Just like so many like deep layers. Um, so the one guy goes, all right, I'll go first. And he says, this is about hangman. And he goes, and there's, you know, uh, people, you know, there's always need to, to, to hang people, but there's just not enough of them to go around. Um, and basically smaller towns, what they would do is they'd be like, all right, we, we can't get one. So somebody who was going to die, you know, they'd go, listen, you could be that you can either, you know, get, get hung by somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, or you can be not pardoned, but like kick it down the road a bit and you could become our hangman. The only caveat is you have to be hung before you die or the town loses its right to ever have a, a hangman again. So in this town, they get Billy Scott. Um, he was caught for, you know, grave robbing, but it was only for anatomy, nothing creepy. Uh, <laughs> but that's still, a, that's still a hanging offense. And uh, he only took, you know, no, never killed anybody. But like we said, so he, it's just the law. So they ask him if he'll do it, and he does. And he becomes the best darn hangman that little town has ever seen, Joe. <laughs> and he ends up getting a family. Um, and he, they, the bits where he's, like, playing with the kids, and he's, like, mastering the rope while the kids are running around, and they just say that nobody ever, like, you know, nobody, everybody died cleanly under his watch. But right, there was things- no, there was no, there was no like, oh, we got to hang you again, or the trap right. door didn't go, or whatever it was. Like he, he was given a task, and he did his task impeccably. Right. the The great line is, when he hanged you, you stayed hung. The trap would open, you'd cut your caper on nothing, and be clean gone. Which there's a whole bunch of those in here that I believe, like, like that I think were actually like executioners. 
the way they talked. Don't know if it's true, but that's the way I believe it from now on. So as things go, Billy gets older and he's starting to to get sickly. And they're like, they come to see every, you know, all the time. And when and when they come tonight's the night, you know, you're gonna dance at the end of the rope. And he's like, tells his wife, I have one, you know, request. Let's do this. So the guys come and check on him. We hear you're dying, you know, and they're in his dimly lit, you know, house. And he's standing there. And there's that great shot of him like me. I'm I'm fine. It'll be years before you have to hang me. And they're like, you know, it has to happen before you die. That's the rule. And he's like, you know, uh, keep it up and I'll have it. I'll have the necktie on you. You know the rules. And they leave. And when they do, they show the wife. Uh, he had tied himself up to stand. And in the dark, they couldn't see the rope. So he looked uh, completely healthy. And he died happy in his bed, you know, and the town ended up, you know, they don't say it, but in the end, uh, you know, losing their, obviously their hangman. So that's a cool little story. You know what I mean? And again, I, I really love that story. I feel as though there's a ton of meat on the bone of just that story Mm -hmm. that you can go, um, you could probably like make like a, a movie itself or like a series or whatever it was. And of course the irony of, He's old and infirm and on his deathbed, and they tricked the guys that came for him to prevent him from being hung by hanging him up. Yep. Weekend and yep. Bernie style, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, and I guess it turns out that one of the guy in the group who tells the story, the hangman in that story was his grandfather, which is mm-hmm. a nice way to kind of like put a personal touch on one of these stories in the in the in the grand scheme of things. Right. And I like it. Then he's like, and that's all. So the next guy tells his story and he says that he came to the the city, uh, the Necropolis Lethargy, to uh, be there because his dad had passed away and he came along with the body. And then he ended up staying to apprentice. And I like the fact that he's like, I learned and did all the things. I learned how to be, dig a hole six feet. I learned this. I learned that I guarded all clients all night. So witches wouldn't steal their face. And I've tied clients, <laughs> big toes together with red twine. So they wouldn't walk in the night. Now of all these, like of all the ones that are in there, I'm like, yeah, whatever there. That's funny. That's interesting. I've heard tale of, that being done so they would the dead would not get up and walk i've heard that whether that's like in my brain and it's been in tv shows i read it in books whether being fiction or non-fiction i've heard that one before so that always made me you know be like uh that's really cool and there's a few you know in very interesting ones that he talks about um so then he says one day this you know very large man comes into town um and you know he's carrying like the the bindle over his shoulder and he's you know a joyous man and he says nice town you have here and they end up you know talking about funerals and how it's you know the, the we need our rituals uh to say goodbye um you know it's you know it's a it, things haunt us and this helps it um and this place has changed a lot since the last time i was here so basically at this point it's it's destruction you know what i mean like you realize it's one of the endless and he's like um that nothing changed this has been around the whole time and he's like he's like no there was a city before this it was just called the the necropolis and they became stagnant in what they did they stopped caring uh they no longer you know like took 
took respect in what they did. Um, he's, and they say at one point there was like no longer a sense of completion. Bodies were placed in graves or burned without respect, love or solace. And then I like the apprentice basically goes, this different apprentice goes, clients. We call them clients. Which anytime you've ever gone to a funeral or you had to deal with an undertaker, they never called it the body. They always had, you know, wor- like words for it. And he's like, very wise of you. Uh, so he said these people did things. The books turned to dust and everything. Then one day, six strangers came to that city and said, our sister is dead. Um, and they were like, the, the people of the crop was like, what, where's this? Where's that? Where's the body? We have no body. We've come for her uh, ceremonies, the book of the rituals, which you're keeping. And they all laughed at him. And that's when you start to realize that it's all the endless. And you look at them and it was probably because they talk about despair having died once. Um, that you look and all the endless are there, but despair, destruction is there because he's telling the story. And basically, destiny reams them out and he's like, your charter is revoked um, and the city's brought down and uh, uh, this new city was given uh, the charter proclaiming it to be the new necropolis and that's how it came. Um, and that he tells the story and he left as you know eating his bread and cheese sandwich a lot of bread and cheese sandwiches in this story and uh he walked away singing a song of his own uh composition like how'd you know that he's like he told me so i like that destruction was even writing you know songs whenever this happened you know or was this the destruction from brief lives joe which one do you think it is hmm. he has the bindle so i'm thinking it's him but it doesn't have the polka dots right so okay um, I think this is destruction on his first leave. The first okay. time that he went on walkabout, not the second. Mm-hmm. So, okay, that's interesting. So he asked the, the master, like, how long is the city? And he basically has been around 80,000 years. On He has, like, all this evidence. He's like, if he's telling the truth, I basically have no idea if there's truth in it or not so now the master says i'm going to tell the story and he tells the story of the person he uh, apprenticed under which was mistress uh veltus um she was a stern mistress you know who uh kind of you know worked them hard but she had a uh uh what do you call it a, a a shriveled hand kind of a deal but you know that never stopped her she, you know, took a child who was crushed under rocks and made her look, you know, like she could stand up and walk away if she was merely sleeping. And she did it all with her one uh, withered hand. And uh, he said that at one point, even he was there to put her to her funeral and everything. And there's something interesting about the picture as he's uh, uh, getting her ready for the funeral as he's telling the story. Um, but he says uh, that as this is going on, that a lot of things happen with the apprentices. Some uh, go on to be masters, some try and fail and are sent out of the world, and they become the greatest mortician, because even their cast-offs would be the greatest mortician in our world, and sometimes we send apprentices out to learn everything they can in the world and bring it back. And the guy's like, oh, master, you're getting off the tail. And he's like, okay, coming back. Um, And he's like, so one night there was this giant storm, and she came down like as we couldn't sleep and we thought she was going to give us the, you know, 
you know, beat the beatings of her life. But in the end, she ended up telling us all these various stories. Once again, all stories that I would love to read in Sandman. <laughs> and, and she said when she was a kid, she knocked over a flask of uh, preserving fluid. And she got scared that her master or mistress, I don't know, it doesn't matter which one, was going to like give, give her the thumping of a lifetime. So she ran into the catacombs and she ended up finding this room with six ceremonies and a book and all of this. And it asked them which of the six is dead? And she's like, I, I, I don't know. Uh, and she tells the voice what happened. The voice is like, there's no place for children. Go back. Uh, what about, you know, the thing I did? Like, go back. This Everything will be fine. I've replaced it. Nobody will even notice. Just go back and everything will be fine. And he's like, how do I know they're telling the truth? He's like, ah, if you had just, you know, that whole thing, like with Orpheus, if you had just listened, you know, and trusted me, we'd be over this. But there's your proof that I magic and ends up that's how she got the shriveled hand. Uh, so, you know, she's telling us this story. Um, we found it interesting. Then towards the end of her life, uh, she was getting up there and she knew it. So she's like, take me down to the catacombs. And she went in um, on her own and we guarded the door and we waited there for day and night. Um, and one day she came out screaming into the light uh, and we basically took her back and per, uh presented her for the burial and like i don't know if the story is true or not but when she came out of the catacombs her hand was you know fully restored which was cool because they foreshadow it at the beginning of the story when they're laying her out you know what i mean yep you think maybe it's just like um somebody messed up with the art or something right but no yeah but it all comes back around yeah yeah so finally uh, they asked the, the the apprentice who's you know telling the story in the end he's like do you have any things like i've done nothing he basically says like he does his life and he says but i really have uh no stories i dream of you know seeing the world and learning stuff kind of a deal um and whether that was true about the catacombs and stuff like that the apprentice asked and he's like i kind of know about it but you know i wouldn't learn that till later and he starts given like all this stuff and the master's like hold your tongue and he ends up like doing all this code stuff which completely reminds me of the freemasons mm-hmm. which would be all like the statements freemasons would uh uh g- give it give it to each other and i think maybe i've read in an interview that kind of that's where he stole it not you know borrowed if you will some of the phrases but he tells him to shut up because we don't give out our secrets then finally he's like they're talking about maybe like what the inn is and where we are. And the uh Brant goes, uh the guy from the the beginning of the story is like, I know, we're all dead. And the master goes, Listen, if you were dead, I would know it. And there's another by Brian Talbot, slightly different creepy, like death face there. And Brant says, Anybody have another explanation? And the lady says, Yes, I do. Uh the lady who's running the inn, and she goes, and it goes, To be concluded, Joe. I like this issue a lot. I like these stories. Um, you know, they're a little bit more uh, my speed. Uh, yes, they are about a city again. Mm-hmm. But I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I've kind of eased myself into like, okay, we're going to get stories about cities with all of these. But um, I really like the Hangman story a lot. Like I said, I, I would, you know, that could be uh, stretched out into a, a full length, a multi, you know, whatever. I, I really mm-hmm. like that one a bunch. 
yeah, that's the best story. But the story that intrigued me the most was them talking about various funerals, and they involve six people, Joe. I don't know what that could be all about. Right. So we go on to the next issue, Neil Gaiman, with like a ton of artists. Brian Talbert, uh, Mark Buckingham, uh, Dick Giordano, Gary Amaro, Tony Harris is inking. Uh, so yeah, we, get, we run the gamut on people uh, doing this issue. So now uh, the woman in the, the bar is saying... Uh, Clerican has had enough to drink, and they're like, no, 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 don't change the subject. You said you kind of know what's going on here, and you can't just, you know, leave us hanging. Um, and uh, somebody asked, like, how do we leave, like, this place? And she's like, uh, the inn is at the place, uh, you know, at the end of the world. Uh, and he's like, we kind of believe that when some giant reality storm kind of comes, that this is what uh, – happens and when the storm's over you'll go and you know you'll kind of just um go back to to where you came from and you know and she's like they're all just like questioning he's like you know it's 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 your know, reality's fragile and the, the ripples manifest these storms and he's like reality isn't fragile it's you know he's like it, it it's it's a very solid thing she's like well how did you get here he's like it's not real it's a dream and she's like all of this and they show, and that's when they kind of do the first shot of like, we truly get how many people are here. And they're like, we've had a lot of people, but this, this is like probably the most that we've ever had. Um, and they're like, so we're, are we dead? He's like, no, dead people do come here time to time before they go elsewhere, but that's not it. Um, and I've never seen this place so full, um, you know, and they kind of kind of explain it, but don't. And then uh, the one lady, Charlene, kind of asks, like, well, why the stories? And it's someplace, uh, something to pass the time. It's like, you know, what we do. She's like, but they're all boys' story. Go ahead, sorry. I, I just want to throw in here real quick with the art, of course. It's almost like it's a different artist on every page or every two pages mm -hmm. as we're going through this. Uh, definitely feels like maybe they were trying to hit a deadline or something like this. But I do like some of the just throwaway designs that we get of, like, the people that look like they're wearing lobster costumes. Right. Confronting the people that look like they're wearing, like, some sort of, like, weird barbarian conehead outfits. Right. Um, just like random little things like that. There's another shot um, a little bit later on in the book where the, there's little like weird moppet looking things as well, almost like porgs before porgs were a thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. So go ahead on to um, Charlene, kind of like so. Um, uh, was it the? Are, are you know from all the way back at the first issue of all of this? We we had the two people, the two Earth people, the two, you know, humans, if you will, right? They get in the car crash. That's how they end up here, you know? And they are the two that are the most poking holes in all of this. And I think a lot of that is because we, humans, Earthlings, whatever, are the least accustomed or the least that believe in the fanciful and the fantasy. So that's why in the story, Neil always has them be the ones that question everything, where whether it be Culverkin or whether it be the Minotaur person or whether it be the people from the, the ne Necropolis, they just roll with the punches. They're just like, yep, oh, it's just another day in our life. You know, something yep, crazy. Reality storm. Oh, well. 
Um, so she questions. She's like, they're, they're boys' stories. And she goes down the list. She's like, we've heard a swashbuckling adventure, a sea story, a gangster story, grizzly boy funerals, even a little ghost story. Even there, you told me the, the boy president upstairs. Um, but they're all boys' stories. And the girl goes, what about me? There was a woman in that. And she's like, oh, please. The whole point of your story is that there wasn't a woman in it. It was just a ship full of sailors and a giant euphemism. You know what I mean? Like, that wasn't my story. It's like, sure it was. Um, And that's when the the centaur kind of chimes up. So, so fine. Tell your story, Charlene. She's like, I don't have a story. And she goes in. She does have a story, though. Like, she's like, I don't have a story. And the story she tells is her life. And and Neil kind of says it's... And, and she's right. There are no men's story in this. He goes, but I tried to give Charlene like a believable woman's story in our world, if you will. And she goes down and she's like, I've got an ex-husband who kind of just uses me. And I have this, like I wanted to be a, a, a dancer and a writer and none of it worked. And I, you know, just stay home and I eat pizza and fall asleep on the TV. And I asked him to come on this road trip. And even me and him you know, couldn't have an exciting story because of what happened at the Christmas party, but nobody ever talked about it because it never got around to gossip. And I like that. He's like, Oh my God. And if you hadn't crashed the car, we wouldn't be here. And she, he's like, kind of you okay. And she's leave me alone. And she runs off and he's like, uh, women, huh? And that's when he gets the stare down from all the people. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh God. Um, and that's when the storm starts raging more. Um, uh, and you know, uh, Brant tells his story a little bit that he was going to Chicago with her just to check out a job. And he's like, Oh, it's close. And the centaurs, well, I think it's this reality's crashing together, which I feel is a nice, uh, hey, this kind of might happen too during all the crises on Infinite Earths kind of a deal mm-hmm. when realities shatter together. Uh, the, the fairy Clericon kind of is like, I'm going to be sick, and they're like, Be quiet. Come and look. And this one guy comes and they all come and look out the window. And that's when we hit this like six page run kind of a deal where Brant starts telling the story. And he's like, I look out at the world uh, and the windows of the end at the end of the words worlds. I meant to say worlds. And he describes like the sky was so big. And he talks about when he was in Australia and he kind of like it was that kind of illusion. It was that big. And that's when he saw uh, what I thought was a cloud formation. Then it was a man walking across a giant man in the sky, carrying a book with a hood. And it's basically destiny. Um, And then came the man with the flag, who's Lucian. And it was a funeral procession. You could hear a dirge step by step. They walked across it, this unison and slow time. And he's like... I ended up thinking about my father. He died when I was five years old after a long illness. It wasn't a good time for me. So he talks about the funeral that he went to and how empty it was. And it was like at the chapel of rest and it just all felt dumb and he didn't cry. And he's like, but I knew what I was watching here was real. There was true grief in each step they took across the sky. um, And that's, you know, when I could feel something as they walked, like burning on my cheeks and it was me crying crying for what i don't know but i hated myself for it and i couldn't couldn't look away um and then he describes like the people that he sees and we look and it's mervin pumpkinhead it's uh claire can's uh, nuala his sister it's the people from 
uh, a game of you, the Fairy Queen, Bast, Loki, Thor, uh, Fiddler's Green, the Angel, Despair. Um, and he's like, I-, I knew they were they were mourning the casket. They followed, but it didn't matter. They were there in the sky, he says. And I believe in miracles. I didn't have any choice, which is a great line. Um, and then we get to this page and he says, and then at the end of the procession, a bit behind everyone else, there were these two girls. One of them kept hesitating. She'd walk for a few steps and stop like she'd forgotten what she was doing, where she was. And then she'd walk a little bit more without even the art. I don't need to see that's delirium. What a brilliant like description of what delirium is. And when we got, I knew when we got to this, I mentioned something all the way back in January, uh, like uh, when we recorded the story for Sandman number eight, how I would feel about death. Uh, and to prove it, Joe, could you play that clip that I gave you for me? When I met Dream in this or death in this issue, like how I feel about her, it will take, and I can't believe I know this this well, it will take 50 issues for someone to do a soliloquy about death that explains the way I feel about this character. <laughs> so you have to wait 50 issues ish to get there. And when we do, I will remember because it is one of my three favorite uh, speeches in the history of this book. And they're all on the back end of Sandman. So yeah, that was it. Like this is the moment where I said I knew how I felt about death and it would be one of the greatest speeches of all times. Uh, and I, I love it. And I love the one from brief lives that's up there. This is my favorite and it usurped the, the next one, which will happen in kindly ones. This is the more positive one, the more hopeful one. I was more of a, uh, kind of a, a depressed guy when I when I read kindly ones. So that will take the place uh, uh, this one. And Joe, could you read this for me about how I, re- I felt about death? Uh, so we pick up the other one, the one at the end. I think I fell in love with her a little bit. Isn't that dumb? But it was like I knew her. Like she was my oldest, dearest friend. The kind of person you could tell anything to, no matter how bad and they'd still love you because they know you. I wanted to go with her. I wanted her to notice me. But then she stopped walking. Under the moon, she stopped, and she looked at us. She looked at me. Maybe she was trying to tell me something. I don't know. She probably didn't even know I was there. But I'll always love her all my life. That is, that to me, that is the most beautiful thing written in all of Sandman. This is my favorite moment. It's dark, but even with death, it's hopeful. And it is 100% how I felt when I first met death and I read every story or moment or panel that she was in as I read this book and how I will continue to feel as I read any story with death in it. Very moving for me, and I well up every time I read it. So I will say... Being that this is the third issue of Sandman that I ever read, at the time, I had no context for what was going on. I was unfamiliar with most of the characters in this book, right? Mm -hmm. 
Uh, but obviously rereading it again once everything was said and done and I have all the trades and I have all the single issues. And then again, of course, rereading it for this project here on the podcast. Um, you cannot argue with how powerful that stuff is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is, oh, go ahead. So that's so good. And I just want to say I used depressed before when I the next speech that I come, I was uh, at a very cynical time in my life. So that's different. I want to take depressed out and put cynical. Cynical is the word. So. But anything else to say about the those uh, six pages? Nope, nothing at all. Uh, I'll just say um, very ominous for who that funeral procession could be for. Yep. Um, so now basically the lady running the inn says that's the last of the storm should be safe. Go about your places, just walk through the door and you'll, you know, you'll end up wherever you were. Um, and that's when Charlene says, what if we don't want to go back? And she's like, you have to go back. Um, but, uh, and, and Kluker, uh, the fairy's kind of like, okay, I got, I definitely got to go. And he's not drunk anymore. So I feel the reality storm on that really sobered him up. And he's like, I have to go to fairy and tell my queen everything I've witnessed. And I am the most unhappy soul alive as I, as I'm going to tell her. And he's like, I heard fairies have no souls. He's like, well, call it a soul, but it hurts every inch of me. Um, uh, so, uh, the uh, apprentice from the from the funeral stories says, uh, Brant, you know, Charlene, could I go with you? And they're like, go. And the master's like, you can't go. That's just stupid. You travel with me. He's like, but this is an opportunity. I've said in my story, I want to go see the world. I want to learn things. And he's like, what would you do? Study, travel, and return? Yes. Like what the, he mentioned, the master said they do sometimes in the story. He's like, I don't think this is all nonsense. Don't do it. And I like the centaur just like, boy, hop up on me. We're out of here. Kind of a deal. <laughs> and he gets on and the, the master's like stupid boy. Um, and Brant's like, Charlene, let's go. And she's like, I'm not going back. He's like, we have to leave. He's like, no, nope. she said I could stay if I want to, as long as I work. Um, and she says, yes, I've had people in the past do it as long as, you know, other professions, occupations, as long as she stays. Um, uh, I came here many years ago on a way to another journey. And when I tire of her work, that other journey still waits for me. And she does this like dance pose. And I feel like, like the shadow, there's more arms. So she's like yes. a giddy. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know which one, but it's probably one, you know, uh, of the uh, maybe indie from India. I don't know. You know what I mean? That's not my, my take, but that's exactly what I feel. Um, so Charlene kisses Brant Goodbye. He's like, I'll be fine. He leaves. Cut to it. It's him telling uh, the story in a bar to a bartender late at night. It's just the two of them. And she's like, well, what happened with Charlene? She's like, when I got, like, I woke up, I had her car. Everything was fine. The car wasn't broke. She's gone. She never existed. And uh, maybe you imagined it. And he basically talks. And she's like, no, uh, I had the car, but I looked into it too. But nobody else remembers her. I went to where I worked. I didn't want to do it. I abandoned the car because I didn't want to have a car I didn't own. Um, he's like, I'm sorry. I kind of, and he told his story. So he's telling a story in the bar kind of like he didn't never did in the end. He's like, well, I guess I'm just going to go. I hope you don't think I'm crazy. She's like, nope. In a bar, you hear stories all the time. Um, he's like, I suppose you must. And he's like, good night. Good night. And they just, he just wanders off into like the blackness as the bartender's watching him. Um, 
it, it, this story, like you said, whether you, it, you, I liked it more than you do at the beginning, this is a steamroller down, like a semi downhill uh, with no brakes to get to the end of this run. Like, I don't know if I've said this ever before, Sandman's really good, and this is a really good storyline in Sandman. Uh, yeah, that, uh, those are uh, good statements. It's definitely something that reading now, um, you know, obviously in context, reading everything beginning to end, you see where it fits into the pieces. But if this was to be your first Sandman story um, and you pick this up like I did, you know, mm-hmm. it's a little tough to penetrate into because we're more than two thirds done with the overall story. Right. Right. Yeah. What's but, next on the agenda? Okay, so next up, before we get into the beginning of the Kindly Ones, uh, which is, uh, what is it, issues uh, 57 and 58 of Sandman, we also have the story in Vertigo Jam number one. Right. Um, again, whether we've read this after uh, World's End with those two issues that we just did there, or we read it before we start Kindly Ones, uh, wherever it fits in is wherever it fits in. Excuse me. And I think this is the one where the Sandman story is in the previous um, Fables and Nocturnes, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah. Um, So again, it's just a little bit of setup, a little bit of additional information um, as we uh, reach the crescendo, the end, the big coup de grace of Sandman, at least for now. Right, definitely into the definitely deep into the third act now. Yes, uh, there is no turning back at this point, of course. Um, so, of course, um, you know, whether you're following along, I do try to update the post of where you could find stuff uh, collection-wise, digitally, single issues, you know. Um, if there's any aberrations in where su- stuff like this is collected, I do my best to include that when I put up the post on Thursday about what we're reading, what we're discussing, and so forth. Uh, that being said, of course, you can always support us by buying a shirt, buying a pin, buying a sticker. Shoot me an email. We'll work something out. Uh, T Public Sale is next week, uh, so we'll push that when we push that next week. Uh, you can sign up for our Patreon, patreon.com slash longboxheroes. Uh, you get two bonus shows a month from Todd and myself. One is Comic Book Oddities, where we look at some of the uh, less remembered, maybe pre-Marvel Cinematic Universe, maybe failures after the Marvel Cinematic Universe started. Uh, this month, uh, a lot of the folks will be getting a chance to hear our discussion of the 2010 film Jonah X. Yep. And uh, whatever your opinion about that movie is, you know, maybe ours is a little bit different, or at least yeah. mine. Mine uh, may vary. Yes, you, we also have previewing the past, where we look at 30 years ago this month's previews catalog. Uh, Todd and I are t- getting ready to record August 1993 this weekend. Uh, no matter what level you are at the Patreon, as you're listening to this, the full scan of that catalog is up, as well as the previous years that we've done, 90, 91, 92, 93, up to this point. Uh, even if you don't get a chance to listen to the podcast, and listen, a lot of people don't have time in their day to listen to a three-and-a-half-hour podcast. Some people even get snippy and complain when a podcast is too long on the Patreon. Uh, <laughs> maybe not this Patreon, maybe another Patreon. I don't know what to tell you. You know, save it and bank it. The stuff is evergreen for the most part, you know? You mm-hmm. got a long drive, you listen to it, you know? Um, but 
look back through those catalogs. You know, if you are the same age as Todd or thereabouts or me or thereabouts, you're going to look through those previous catalogs and it's going to bring back a flood of memories. Just seeing what the world of comic books looked like 30 years ago. And again, of course, that's any Patreon level. You get that stuff. The $5 level, you're going to get this stuff two weeks early. The podcast, of course, and you're going to get Longbox Heroes After Dark Weekly two days before everyone else. So you can listen to these things in the correct listening order. And of course, I think you get a link to our discord as well. Um, I know I fixed it. I did fix it. So it's an evergreen link. Um, our tech guy told us that there was a previous link. That's only good for like <laughs> seven days. And there's a very easy way to get it fixed uh, to forever. I fixed it on my end. Maybe some of the other shows that I'm involved in haven't yet, but that's... You never know. You never know. And that tech guy is handsome, boy. Oh, boy. I would say if you put him in a picture with Jerry O'Connell, I couldn't tell the difference of who was who. (laughs) That is true. I say I I slide her right into his DMs. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I can tell who took the picture, but I can't tell who's who. Um, And, of course, we have our eBay affiliate link. Uh, you make any and all your purchases through eBay. People still use eBay. I heard eBay is like adding some new stuff. They're doing live auctions. They're trying to catch up with all these other sites and everything. But we have an affiliate link, uh, which is in the show notes. It's on the page. It's everywhere where you find the show. Um, we may receive a small commission from purchases you make. You could use the affiliate link at any time to buy anything on eBay and support us at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, not the same ring as the old one, but the old one is gone forever. So, uh, I think that's it before we get into uh, discussion of TV stuff, right? Yeah, I can't think of anything else. All right. So, uh, we have the finale for Secret Invasion. Uh, Nice little six-episode snackable thing. (laughs) Uh, This episode called Home. I have very few notes on this. Um this is all of our pieces coming together. Um, Nick Fury calls his wife, presumably for one last time, as he is going to meet up with Gravik to give Gravik the harvest, which is the collection of all the DNA of all the heroes right on down the line from the Hulk to Captain Marvel to everyone in between. And again, we've got like two storylines going on at the same time, right? Right. And and even the villains, because Thanos' DNA is in there. Oh, that's right. Thanos' DNA should be in there, too, right? Everybody who bled on the battlefield in Endgame. Mm. So we'll come back to that story here in a second, because our other storyline, of course, is uh, Rhodey, who is a scroll, trying to convince the president to put the attack through on Russia because Russia is in collusion with the scrolls and he needs to do this now. Don't think about it. A person comes in is like, well, you know, we think that this might be a false flag and I think we need to look a little bit further into it. And even with the concussion and a broken rib, how hard Rhodey is pushing this to happen like right now, mm-hmm. that should have sent some red flags up to old uh, El Presidente there, you know? What anybody? T- one of your boy, uh, your guys comes in and is like, "Let's just nuke another superpower." You're going to question it? Let those nukes fly, Joe. I guess. Uh, so we do get um, uh, some subterfuge here by, and again, I forget what her name is. Who runs the British intelligence stuff? I have it all the way back in my other notes here. 
Right. Vara? No, Vara is uh, Fury's oh. wife. Yeah, sorry. Sonia is her name, right? Yep, yep, yep. Okay, so she calls uh, up and says, listen, you need to move the president. Fury's on his way there. He's already in the building. You need to stop him. Now, at this time, I think, I'm like, ah, this is a clever ruse. So she could do whatever she needs to do while they're scrambling to get uh, the president out. Of course, she's taking out guys left and right. But Fury actually is there because the Fury that's at Chernobyl, Russia with Gravik is Gaia, shapeshift, and is Fury. I'm going to come back to that. So then we get the standoff here between Skrull Rhodey and Fury and the president and Sonya, where Fury is attempting to convince the president that Rhodey's a Skrull. Listen to me. And I thought this was a really good, tense moment in the show, kind of building up to this moment with all these characters. And then Rhodey Skrull ends up getting shot. His Skrull brains and blood splattered all over the wall of the hospital. Mm -hmm. And again, the president gets to see that his right-hand man, his trusted lieutenant, has been a Skrull for how long, right? Yep, an Avenger, too, of all people. Yes, now um, and that I all will being say, so, go ahead. I will say I I don't know how we didn't notice it before because somebody did say that uh, Rhodey hasn't been using his exoskeleton in this show or in Falcon Winter Soldier. Like we, I, I've never noticed that that he didn't have his like any sort of mechanical thing to help him walk, and nobody mm-hmm. noticed that. But anyway, anyway. So that's that subplot wrapped up for now because we got to come back to Gaia and Gravik. Gravik, of course, has imbued himself with, you know, the extremist stuff, the Cole Obsidian stuff, the Rocket and Groot stuff. And what's the fourth one that he had? Uh, a Frost Beast. Did you say Frost Beast? I did not say a Frost Beast. It was Frost Beast. So he gets, like, some remnants, some drips, some drabs, whatever it is, to try to become a super scroll. But I guess to earn her trust, Nick Fury gave Gaia the harvest, and Gaia's got all the powers. Right? That that was the plan all along, to give him the thing, and he'd use it in the thing, thinking Fury would, you know, it's Fury, he won't get powers, but it was Gaia. So they, but I don't understand why she didn't just kill him before she gave him all the powers in the universe. But anyway. Anyway. So these two now have a battle. And this is the part that I was dreading in this show. The CGI I, battle? The CGI battle. It looked like garbage time. Oh my goodness. I, I didn't care. I, I we, there was the attack on the president where they sprinkled in some CGI to enhance some realistic effects, but this was two computer generated characters hitting each other on a green screen. It looked like a scene right out of the Flash, <sighs> and that's not in a good way. Do you mean the new movie Flash or the new movie Flash? Okay. The Ezra Miller, you know, the stand up actor. Got. That's that's not praising what we saw here, right? Right, right. Um, and again, of course, I know there was a lot of online discourse in regards to this. 
um, how bad this looked, how silly this looked, and now how Gaia is all of a sudden the most powerful person in the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we really, like, I guess she has all these powers, but does she really have all these powers? Is this character going to become, like, the focal point of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I don't know. Um, I'll give you my opinions on a couple of things when we get to all the way to the end, because there's my nitpicks kind of, like, roll out in a kind of a... Yeah. uh, But anyway, go ahead. So Gaia ends up killing Gravik in all of this. Gaia has all these powers. She's on the run. Sonya comes and intercepts her and more or less says, like, you and I can help each other. I know you don't trust Fury, whatever, but you can come work for me. So obviously that's going to be wherever that shows up, down the road. Who knows? Yep. I don't know. And I, right. I do like that she's like, I, what if I don't want to work? He's like, I'm not going to let you use me. She's like, I am going to use you, and you're going to use me. We're not going to be Fury and Talos. He goes, we're not going to be buddies. We know what we're doing here. And I do kind of like that, That like, we're spies. We're just, whatever we got to do to get over, we're going to do. So I thought that was cool. Right. So the president then goes on TV and essentially issues war on the scrolls and any alien on earth and any alien on earth. And that certainly does rile up a certain segment of the population in the Marvel cinematic universe, killing people live on TV that turn out to be scrolls. Killing people live on TV that they think are scrolls that are not scrolls. Fury chastises the president for kind of going, you know, half hot with this without really thinking about what he was doing. And he says, this is the, I, you know, this is the actions and the, the dealings of a one-termer. Yeah. Um, I definitely feel as though they were trying to intimate and make you feel a certain way in regards to a certain president, maybe. In regards to a lot of the verbiage and a lot of the inciting things that he was saying. Um, but at the end, Fury and Rava go back onto the big ship. They're going to work together. They're going to stay together. Fury leaves Earth, sadly, in much worse hands than he had left things when he was previously up in space. Right. Um, I'll say this. Uh, I'm glad that Nick finally said that I would have accepted you, Rava, as the scroll the whole time if we could have. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so if we finally get that answer. Now, the problems I have with the show, and I'll be quick on them, um, this, with, with Gaia getting all the powers, that's way too much power. I'm with you. There's ways you can get around it fine, but having every Avenger power and every villain from, you know, the, the Endgame movie, I'm like, too much, uh... But the bit where she goes in and she's Nick, like halfway into that, I'm like, there's no way that's Nick Fury. That's Gaia. That's Gaia. And then especially when she said, when he goes, he goes, do you recognize this face, Fury? He's like, this is the face of the first person you had me kill. And you've had me kill so many people you can't even remember it. And I'm like, that's because he can't remember because he's not Fury. That's the reason. And I was like, whatever. Gets the powers. Like I said, maybe should have fought him before. Everybody had powers. Uh, I don't know, but whatever. Then I really liked the bit with the president doing what he did and like the fallout from it. It's like, all right, you're killing people because you know, they're scrolls, but all the wackies just doing it and like is getting it wrong. 
Like, okay, I do think he's going to be a one-termer and General Thunderbolt Ross is going to be president at some point after Thunderbolts. <laughs> so, uh, and finally, the thing where Reva and Fury go up into the ship, they do this, like, one-off real quick, oh, by the way, I'm going back to S.W.O.R.D. because the Scree and the Crawler have peace talks. And uh, and just he should have just winked into the camera. You know, what we're setting up for the for the Captain Marvel movie, probably. I'm like, so we fought all this time about Krees and Skrulls and trying to get them a planet, but there's peace talks on that we nobody's mentioned or heard about for like six episodes? Okay, I guess. I don't know. It just seemed to come out of the blue just as something next, and I did not like that. That's I everything. Feel- yeah, I feel as this was a show that had potential. We really enjoyed the first five episodes. Yep. And I think they had to get their big superhero battle in their superhero show. Mm-hmm. Where this could have been just like an espionage spy double crossing show. And leave the crazy superhero battle out of it. And I think people would not poo-poo the series based on the finale because this is a bad finale of a tv show yep um at, at the for five episodes we had none of the superpowers and then in the last episode we had all of the superpowers yeah they were saving their budget just for the last episode so yeah you know obviously i'm not going to say that i wasted my time i enjoyed what i de- what i watched but this is definitely not something i would revisit this is definitely not something nope. knowing the beginning middle and end um you know, we'll get the cr- the key parts, the crucial parts, or whatever it is, in whatever the next show that Gaia shows up in, whatever that happens, and we'll get a little bit of information on this in the Captain Marvel two movie this Christmas. Yep, unless it gets pushed back. Uh, let's not go. Well, there's still a lot of time, but you know, they've. I think there's a second and a third trailer out there. I don't know how, you know, but yep. anything could happen in the world of uh, comics and movies and entertainment. You know. Yeah, uh, but it bummed me out that they they did this in the last episode. You know, I should have seen it coming, but that's on me. You know, fool mm-hmm. me once, right? Yeah. Well, you know, they can't all be great, right? Uh, so I guess last but not least is we had the debut of season two of Good Omens come out this past Friday, right? Mm-hmm. Now, not knowing you know, how they were going to be releasing this ahead of time. You know, this is partially on me, because, again, I don't look into these sort of things. I just assume a lot of stuff gets uh, doled out, serialized, even some of the stuff that we do watch on Amazon Prime, which is where this is, the main thing being The Boys. Typically, they would put three episodes out at once, almost like kind of like a little mini-movie, if you will, and then weekly you get new episodes. And Marvel did that a couple. Mar- Disney did that with a couple of the Marvel shows, and Andor was through a three episode drop. Right, uh, and we even talked uh, last week. I think that when Ashka comes out next month, it's two episodes on the debut night, and then one episode every week thereafter. But this, I found out this morning when I was getting ready to watch things that they dumped the whole season on Friday, which is great. You know, because I really like the first season, and I'm definitely going to watch the second season, but I'm not going to get a chance to watch the entirety of the second season for this week, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I got notes on episode one. I really liked it. Um, I felt good seeing these characters coming back, setting up the little corner of the universe that they're in. 
uh, introducing us to uh, Maggie and Nina, the record store, the coffee shop owner and stuff. Right. But um, how many of these episodes did you get a chance to watch this week, Todd? I got to see one less than you did. Oh, so you didn't get a chance to watch any? No, I did not. Because once we kind of, you know, kind of danced around what we were doing in the emails, I wasn't going to run home and do it. Um, because basically we came to the conclusion that, uh, and I think it'll be a, a rule going forward, and we've discussed it in the past, if they're going to drop more than three episodes at one time, especially if they're dropping everything at once, I don't really, I don't, I, I don't do it. And it comes into the thing that it becomes a hassle for me because I know you don't have the time for the show. And then you'll be like, all right, I can watch one or two, you know, occasionally three, but I can't watch six. So then I'll go to watch what I want to watch. I'll be like, oh, I really love this show. So I will watch all six because I have nothing to do on a weekend. And then it's like, okay, does that mean I have to re-watch what we're going to watch so I can r- refresh my brain? Because I don't want to spoil anything for you because you'll be like, yeah, I'm here. I'm like, is he in this episode where they kill the guy or is that the next episode? And then I have to watch something twice and I have to do no, like even more extensive notes. I, I don't know. I just like when I could, when if they drop it all at once, I could watch it at my own leisure and not have to worry about what we're going to do on the show. If any, any of that makes sense to you, Joe, it does. So that's where I think we're leaning now, I guess. Yeah. Unfortunately. I mean, when it's all said and done, I can be like when you're probably because most of the time you're going to be the one that's behind because you're busy schedule with 17 podcast appearances and, you know, all the like you do wrestling occasionally Uh, when it's over. And you said, I've watched all six. I, I can give you what I feel. I said the only one that might be a little different for me is Sandman. Uh, right. Because I'll want to talk about Sandman when it comes back. Of course. But we'll figure that's a bridge. That that's like months and months away. So yeah, they haven't announced a return date for Sandman, but I could definitely see us making the time to make sure that we watch as much of Sandman as possible. But this is actually something good because I did watch the first episode. That's said and done. Um, my wife and I actually watched Good Omens, and we really enjoyed it. So this will be something that the two of us can sit down and watch together. Yeah, and then she can come on and give her opinion. Yes, which but, she loves which I- doing. Right, exactly. Right. Now I think that's everything, Joe. Yeah, that's everything. So that gives us like a week or two off. If we decide to watch more Good Omens between now and the next two weeks, we'll do it. Uh, But we got nothing coming up until, uh, what, Blue Beetle on the 18th, which you said that you're probably not going to watch. I'll go see if if, I'll see it. Um, It's just a matter of who, like, how I'll do it. You know what I mean? So are you going to go see it most likely? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So if you're deaf, that's one that I'm interested in. Like the Shazam one, I wasn't. And well, I don't know what the other one was, but uh, not so much. So yeah, I'll end up seeing it. Yeah, you didn't see Spider-Verse 2 is what it was. Yeah, I never got around. I was supposed to a couple of times, but things didn't work out. I think it's coming up on streaming here soon. So right. yeah, hey. I don't know. I say watch it. And then Ashka is the week after Blue Beetle. Right. So there'll be some stuff soon. Yeah, we got like two weeks off for TV stuff, right? That just mm-hmm. means the Sandman segment can be longer. That's true. I'll, I'll read more parts. Right. 
All right. So, hey, everyone, thank you very much for listening. This was episode 669 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Listening to the soon to be named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars.